Winning the downturn with the information is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro, built for business. No product or component can be absolutely secure. Your costs and results may vary. Welcome to Winning the Downturn, a limited series covering how tech startups and small businesses are adapting to the new economic reality. This year, we've seen companies react to interest rate hikes and slowing consumer demand by laying off staff and pulling back on other spending. This environment has also forced healthy conversations about how businesses should focus and what kind of software they should be using to win during this downturn. My name is Amir Efradi, Executive Editor at The Information, a subscription technology news publication. And in each episode, I'll be talking with leaders in all kinds of industries, from retail and mobility to healthcare and finance, about how they've navigated prior economic storms and what they're doing to survive the current one. If you're going to start a traditional business, like a coffee chain, you'd be well off to do it near Silicon Valley, where venture capitalists are everywhere. And if you've ever visited the Bay Area, chances are you've run into Phil's Coffee, which has a cult-like following among its customers. That's not just because of the quality of its coffee and tea, it's also because of the experience. I'm joined today by Jacob Jaber, who started Phil's Coffee with his dad two decades ago. When it comes to food establishments and technology, it's really hard to beat Phil's, which for years has had one of the best mobile ordering apps you'll ever see. I talked to Jacob about how he built Phil's, taking venture capital, the software he uses, and the value of good old human interaction in the COVID world we live in. Here's Jacob. So just as a disclaimer here, Phil's Coffee is hands down my favorite coffee chain. And when I discovered it here in the San Francisco Bay Area, I was immediately hooked mainly by the the black tea, which just surprised me deeply. You'll have to tell me sometime where you where you source that from. But it's obviously a local favorite around here and a place that has become an incredible gathering spot for a lot of folks in communities where these, these stores are at. But it became pretty clear as a customer that there was something unique, especially about the customer service at this place. And I was really excited to learn more about it and hear the backstory. So tell us how you got into this family business and where it all began. Uh, yeah, so... You know, the name is Phil's Coffee and my dad's is, is my dad's the Phil. So uh, there you go. So him and I are the founders of Phil's and uh, we started in the early 2000s, around 2003. It actually used to be a bodega, a little small grocery store that my dad opened up in the 70s and had for a long time. But he was always really passionate about coffee and community and hospitality and people and you know, wanted to transition it into coffee and eventually did. And I've been in the business since it was a little grocery store. I used to stand on top of the milk crates at like seven years old and ring people up at the register, count back change, stock inventory, talk with customers. And sometimes my dad would just take a nap because he would wake up so early and come home late. So after school, I'd kind of help him and he would like kind of sleep in semi sleep in the chair when I'd, while I'd ring people up at the register. And whenever somebody wanted to buy a pack of cigarettes, I had to wake him up. <laughs> Or, you know, because you you can't sell that at that age. And around 2003, we started experimenting with coffee and really wanted to do something that 
tied to our heritage and our Middle Eastern roots and wanted to do something that was personal. My dad knew everybody in the community. So building relationships with people, delivering kindness was also very, was very important, even when it was a grocery store and he was selling things like diapers and milk and eggs. Uh, so we wanted, we experimented with coffee. He visited over 1,100 coffee shops over the span of a few years to learn and experiment and see what people were doing and noticed two things. One, very transactional experiences, you know, in and out, grab your coffee and go. Number two, the manager of the store was stressed and not, you know, wasn't, wasn't really happy. And he was like, okay, those are two things we want to try to avoid. So we created this handmade approach to coffee. So every single cup is ground fresh on the spot. We put it in the filter. We pour really great water over the beans. It drips into the cup. We add the ingredients. We finish it off and ask a customer to take a sip to make sure it's perfect. Every single cup. And uh, it's personal. And, and, and the setup it fills is kind of like a bar more so than a coffee shop. You're really getting your coffee with your barista versus just being your name screamed out and handed a cup. So, you know, it was slow in the early days. My dad and I would just hustle, work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. We were not successful uh, and we didn't have a lot. So we actually took furniture from our house and put it into the coffee shop. So my sisters and I would wake up and be like, darn, there's no kitchen table. <laughs> there's no uh, you know, couch for us to watch TV because all that stuff was in the coffee shop because we, you know, we didn't have a ton of money to spend, but we also wanted to kind of make it homey. And uh, so we removed some aisles of the grocery store and put some furniture and had this makeshift bar and, you know, we just made it happen. And we just worked really hard and slowly people were like, wow, this is really good. This is different. They came back and we always told them, come again and tell a friend. And we meant it when we said it so much. So we put that on our cup. So our cup says, tell a friend. And slowly people came and we started to build a line and we took off from there, but it took seven years until we opened, five years until we opened our second store. And you mentioned Middle Eastern roots. Can you tell us a little more, more about that? Yeah, so both of my parents, uh, my dad's from Ramallah and my mom's from Yaffa, pal both Palestinian, and uh, they both came to the States, I think, when they were like in their mid-teens. Um, although my dad actually met my mom back in the Middle East and they didn't know it. He saw her at the movie theater in line next to his, you know how there's lanes in the theaters back in the days? So he saw her and he went up to her and he said, you appeal to me. I'd like to get to know you. <laughs> so anyways, that didn't work out there, but then they reconnected somehow uh, here in the States and got married. And I have two sisters. I'm the youngest of three. And yeah, no, we're blessed. And where did the coffee come from? How did you get started? Our coffee comes from many different regions around the world. And what we do is we have these blends that my dad spent many years on. And he combines two to seven different single origin beans from around the world to create these blends. And, and each of the beans add another dimension and it marries really, really well. So very low in acidity, very smooth, very rich, strong. But if you like a light blend, we have light. We don't want to give somebody something just because it's a fancy bean. We want to make their day better. So that's been our philosophy. I just want to say some of the words and language you're using may sound corny to the, the untrained ear, but it's, it's actually true. The reason for the appeal of this chain is that it's just friendlier. 
period. And I'm sure that that's an art in and of itself as to how you create that kind of a culture. Yeah. And that can't be delivered through technology. Technology could is a tool to make your life easier. Nothing replaces the time and energy that you can put into another person. And, you know, that's, that's special. And, and in terms of where, where you are now, how many stores and, and how many employees are you at? We're in 70 different communities. There are about 70 stores and growing and over a thousand, well over a thousand team members. And we're blessed with an amazing team. We take really great time to make sure we hire the right people, but we have, we have really great people. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we started with one store. We went from one to two. We went from two to three and three to four and really wanted to get it right. So hopefully one day we can have stores around the world, but we want to do it with quality. And at what point did you decide to, to take venture capital? That, that was something that I was not aware of um, and curious about that decision and what that has led to since, since you made it. We had about a dozen stores before we took any outside capital. We were just bootstrapped. We'd use the cash flow from a store to open another one. And that was great because we had to earn our way to growth. And that mentality is very important. But what we noticed was that there was a point where all of our stores had lines out the door and people were complaining because there wasn't a fills next to them. And we felt like we weren't able to fulfill all of these folks' needs without some help. So it didn't happen overnight, but organically, we got to the point where we raised some capital so that we can open a few more stores, we can hire a few more people, we can build a little bit more infrastructure to accelerate growth. And that's been great. And being born in Silicon Valley, where all of the customers, you know, a lot of our customers were, you know, a mix of people, but, you know, we got a chance to know people as customers who eventually turned into investors, which was amazing because they were authentically fans. A reminder that today's episode is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro, built for business. No product or component can be absolutely secure. Your costs and results may vary. So on to tech. Now, you have a mobile app, and maybe you can tell us a bit about who developed it for you and when you launched it, but it is a solid, solid consumer experience. It works seamlessly. Tell us about whether and to what extent that that's helped you and, and how that started. Well, we launched the mobile app three or so years ago, a little bit more than that. And um, it's really to solve a need state problem. You know, some customers want their coffee and they want to have an experience. Maybe they want to socialize. Maybe they want to hang out. There are also a segment of customers, um, and it could be the same customer. It really depends on the day, who really value convenience and predictability and kind of an in and out experience. Um, so we have so many customers who love Phil's love the experience but a lot of them sometimes had to go they they didn't have time to wait or you know stop by and you know wait in the line for five ten minutes um so there was more and more of those customers so we you know that's what kind of drove us to think about how do we create an experience to meet the need state of the convenience driven customer 
And I think this is true for retail in general. There's people who value an experience and people who value convenience. We needed to fix that. So it was my top priority. So I worked really closely with the team on every aspect because we needed to get the design right. And it was never about the app because technology is a tool to help you do things better. It's an enabler. What matters is the thing is how do you add value to the user? So we really wanted to be thoughtful about the design and make it easy, seamless, and also in line with our brand. Phil's is about people and personalization. So the app has some aspects of, of, you know, it has a conversational tone when you're editing your drink. You also get to see the picture of the barista that's making your drink, which is unique. And you walk up to that barista and they say, take a sip, make sure it's perfect. So yeah, it, we spent a lot of time and energy on, on getting that right. Uh, and it's been great. It's been a very powerful part of our business. What, what percentage of your business is it now? Uh, near half. Wow. Huge. That's incredible. I, I don't, for mobile order ahead and pay, um, I don't know of any coffee company that's higher than that in the world for mobile order and pay. Could be wrong, but maybe that's changed. But it's, it's very powerful. But if the coffee wasn't good, it doesn't matter how, just like real estate is like, great marketing doesn't fix bad real estate. You know, a great app doesn't fix bad coffee. So it always starts with the coffee. When it comes to, you mentioned marketing, do you do much marketing and to what extent? We do primarily social media. We try to get active on social media and engage with our fans offline. Emails, you know, whenever a new store opens up, we talk about it to our fans. When there's a new product or a new drink, we talk about it. You know, we don't have like billboards. In retail, it's a local business. So the best marketing you can do when you're in the retail and brick and mortar business is to find the right location and have visibility and accessibility. So I think we put more energy on that. We put more energy on the experience. You know, if we deliver a great experience, a great cup that people love and make it easy for them to get it, they're going to come back and tell a friend. That's where we put most of our energy in. And can you talk a little bit about the pandemic period? Obviously had to deal with shutdowns, as did every retailer. Walk us through some of what you had to change in the wake of those lockdowns. The pandemic was very challenging. You know, overnight, we had to temporarily shut down our stores and come up with ideas on how to create a more safe and contactless experience. And we did that. We used our app. We figured it out. Um, but, you know, the streets were quiet and we had to make really difficult decisions. We had to furlough some folks. We had to eventually lay some folks off. But we learned a lot. We prioritized how do we take care of our people? How do we take care of our customers and how do we take care of our business? And, you know, the business side was really, really important to figure out because how do you go from X revenue and it goes down 90% overnight and you're left with all these costs and you, you just really have, to, there's a ton of urgency. So the intensity in the first couple of months of the pandemic was no good sleep. Let's put it that way. You don't really have any nights of good sleep. You're constantly figuring it out. We just talked a lot. That was our trick. We talked a lot to our team. We got on Zooms a lot. Talked to them, let them know what was going on. You just got to talk to your people in times like this. And you don't have to have all the answers. I didn't have all the answers. You just have to talk to them and just give them constant updates. 
what's going on? How are you feeling? How can I help? Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. Here's what I think we should do. This is a really hard decision, but we have to make it. And, you know, we, we started growing. And as people came out, people came back and we, we made it through. And I think uh, one of the things that I wanted to think about was how do we use this crisis, as difficult as it is, as an opportunity to build a bridge to a better fills. So we tried to keep a positive mindset and thought about this as a constraint and an opportunity to make for a better fills. And we've made a lot of decisions that is now benefiting us as we come through it. And, you know, we're certainly way above pre-pandemic levels, which is great and, and we're growing, but it was a, it was a very, very difficult time. What, yeah, what are some of those decisions that you made? Putting a lot more investment into our mobile app and technology. You know, how do we use technology to solve problems that we shouldn't be wasting our time on? How do we find more ways to be creative and efficient in the warehouse and how we pick and pack beans um, and ship them out? A lot of it was operational. It was technology. Uh, there was also a people benefit in some ways. You know, in any organization, you have a large group of people and you can really use the moment to energize them. So we noticed that a lot of the great people that we had stepped up, we just kind of like took advantage of, of the crisis to think about how to make it better for everybody. And I will say the biggest benefit was empowering people to make decisions during uncertain times and seeing so many people step up uh, and do that. Sometimes constraints are a benefit. You're forced to be a little bit creative and think of ways to do things. So even our customer experience and journey, we thought of different ways to design it because during the pandemic, you had to order at the door and you picked up at the door. Um, it was like a mini kiosk at the door. So it's like, okay, well, we don't love that experience. We know it's temporary, but how do we use that to our, but how do we think differently about how we can make uh, the mobile experience better when we do open back up? So there's so many little things. One of the clear themes from talking to SMBs on, on our end is just the importance of analytics and using software as much as possible to get a, a sense of what's happening with the business patterns that might not otherwise be gleaned. I'm just curious whether any of that translates in, in your world and what kind of analytics or other software do you use to kind of power, power your decision making? Yeah, I mean, we, um, you know, we have an ERP system. We use NetSuite. We have a BI tool. We use Domo. And that kind of provides us all of the KPIs and, and information we need. Personally, what I like to look at, um, I have this framework, is launching relationships, deepening relationships, and restoring relationships. So instead of just purely thinking about your business in terms of sales and comp growth, you think about it in terms of relationships. And this really resonates with the workforce demographic in retail. So you know, when you go up to a team member or a barista and you're like, hey, you know, our goal is to grow comps or add 10% more sales, that doesn't necessarily always translate. But if you ask them, how do we better 10 more people's days? So, you know, launching relationships is first timers who visited Phil's who come back. So we've converted them. We've launched a new relationship. That's beautiful. That's great. Deepening a relationship is how often we get to see the same person. So how frequent do they come? How frequently do they come? How do we get them to come visit us some more? And then restoring a relationship is, hey, I haven't seen you, John, for two months. Where have you been? In many cases, those folks have moved to different places, but th those are the KPIs that I, I, I continue to think about really deeply because you want to understand customer behavior. Uh, and, and those are, in fact, the best indicators 
uh, not just for how your business is doing today, but it, if you're aware enough, it provides some indication and trends on like, where are people going? You know, what's working? What's not working? So those are the ones that I like, uh, I like to look at and I kind of obsess about them even during the pandemic. Pretty much every day we would look at them. It's like, how many people came and visited us today? I have a slightly darker question, which is related to security. Every day you're, you're seeing, if you want to see, uh, headlines about different breaches and it's you know, covering the cybersecurity business is something that we do here at The Information. And there have been plenty of examples of retailers that have been targeted, bigger ones, including Target. Just curious if that has ever been on your mind, whether you've ever had to prioritize that or what you do to secure all the data that you have, especially given that your mobile experience, the digital experience has become so important to what you do. Yeah, um, it's really important. It's really important. And uh, we realized that as soon as we started building some of these tools. And, you know, fortunately, our team made it an important factor culturally and operationally. How do we make sure we're doing everything we can proactively to protect our people and our customers and our business? So we put forward a lot of energy into making sure that we're doing everything the right way and making the right investments. And it's a constant journey, honestly, because technology and th things move fast. And whenever one risk is resolved, there's a new risk that evolves. You know, it just keeps coming. There's always new things. So it's really something that requires full time and attention uh, you know, as a, as you're a growing business, when you're much smaller, it's very difficult. It's not practical to address all of those things. If you're just a, a one, two store operation, I mean, you're just worried about somebody making sure they come in on time and, and work the schedule. Uh, you're not really thinking about cybersecurity, but, you know, as we've grown to dozens of stores and 50 stores and, you know, millions of customers, uh, and launching our mobile app, building out our e-commerce business, it's been a very important topic and it continues to be. And I think I feel pretty good about where we're at. And you are, you're planning to expand more this year or more expansion plans next year? Yeah, we have a couple of stores opening up in Southern California and uh, we're constantly looking for new location opportunities. You know, we got a great management team in place and they're working really hard every day to try to find more communities to be in and open great stores. So you'll see some new stores coming this year. All right. Well, well, good luck and thank you for the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Winning the Downturn, brought to you by The Information and supported by Intel. Stay tuned for a Spotlight segment with Kate Porter, an Intel Senior Director. And do you think that there's any kind of connection between an investment that a smaller or medium-sized business makes in technology and their ability to actually retain the people who work for them, the employees? One of the things I've spent a lot of time looking at is the importance of having an engaged workforce in businesses. And as I've looked at that, three things continue to rise to the top. And it's purpose, the ability to have a sense of your why behind your work. It's agency. So how employees feel that they have the flexibility to do their best work in the best way they know how. And it's also about belonging, how employees have a sense of connection to the work and to the people that they're performing. And one of the things that we consistently find is in this new workplace, the PC is the digital office. It's the place where these behaviors come to life. So those employees that feel confident coming on camera, coming off mute, 
and being able to connect with one another, they're forming a sense of belonging, even when they're not physically in close proximity. And when it comes to agency, the flexibility to know that actually I can go and pick up my son from school with the confidence that I can be connected, you know, wirelessly and from anywhere and be on video if I need to be, that sense of agency and control is an extreme source of power. And it gives me a connection to my company that I've got the autonomy I need to do my work when I need to and in the best way I know how. I think for small businesses who want to retain their top talent in the face of a lot of competitive risks of loss of folks to other businesses and in this period of economic uncertainty, having the technology tools that allows your best people to go out and do their most meaningful work is really something that is universal, you know, whether you're a large business or small business. So we're excited that these new tools are really made possible through modern PCs, modern Intel vPro PCs. Yeah, speaking from my own experience at the information, if we didn't provide our employees with everything that they wanted, we would be in big trouble competitively. So I can totally relate to that idea. Winning the Downturn is produced by Studio Pod Media. Our producer is Sterling Shore. Our show coordinator is Nicole Genova. And our executive producer is TJ Bonaventura. Special thanks to John Brierley and Julie Kerner from The Information. My name is Amir Efrati. See you next time.